This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about management with a government executive who is changing the way government does business. The Business of Government Hour is produced by the IBM Center for the Business of Government, which was created in 1998 to encourage discussion and research into new approaches to improving government effectiveness. You can find out more about the center by visiting us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. And now, the Business of Government Hour. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and leadership fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. Federal agencies are hardly immune to the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune and uncertainty. Each day, federal agency leaders face risks associated with fulfilling their respective program missions. And yet today's headlines present stories of cyber hacks, abuses of power, extravagant spending, and a host of other risk management failures. In some cases, if leaders had taken the time to foresee and mitigate potential risks, many of these failures could have been either avoided or at least have less of an impact. It is a leadership imperative for government executives to mitigate the potency of uncertainty by managing the realities of risk. Employing an Enterprise Risk Management Practice, ERM, can assist leaders in doing just that. The U.S. Internal Revenue Service, IRS, has sought to do just this and develop an effective enterprise approach to identifying, measuring, and assessing risks while developing effective policy responses, pursuing enterprise risk management as an approach. So what are the benefits of doing just this? How can risk management enhance agency decision-making? And what is the mission of the Association for Enterprise Risk Management, AFIRM? I'll explore these questions and so much more with our very special guest, Tom Brandt, Chief Risk Officer at the U.S. Internal Revenue Service. Tom, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. So would you tell us more about the history and mission of the IRS's Office of Chief Risk Officer? And more importantly, how does it support the overall operations of the agency? Right. Well, thank you. Well, the the chief risk officer position at IRS is is probably still relatively new. It was established in 2013 following kind of a major crisis that we had at the agency. And the intention was to designate the CRO as kind of a new position at the IRS to help leadership get ahead of um, other potential problems. And I think to try to provide some capabilities across the organization to identify where other types of um, risk might be percolating up and giving, I think, additional insight or early insight uh, for the commissioner and the deputy commissioners in particular uh, to know about those and really have an opportunity to do something about them. Um, and along with the establishment of the chief risk officer position, we also then implemented enterprise risk management. 
at the IRS. And the intention there was to, again, provide the entire IRS with capabilities for identifying sort of, you know, where things could go wrong, um, you know, what steps we needed to put in place to prevent uh, those events from happening. And then just, again, giving us greater awareness of a full range of risks that the IRS, given its mission, faces on a daily basis. That's great. You know, it's such an important mission uh, as as, uh, chief risk officer. I like to get a sense of how uh, how the IRS is organized. What's the scale of operation you support? What's the size? How does it work? Yeah, so actually the IRS has today about 78,000 employees. That's a lot, but that's down from where we were about 10 years ago. We've actually probably lost about 23,000 employees in the last 10 years. Um, at the IRS, and that's really a result of just budget cuts and I think other constraints uh, on the agency. But you know, today again, we're at at, a, at about seventy eight thousand employees, and and they work throughout the country, uh, providing taxpayer service, um, enforcement, and operations. You know, support type activities. Uh, you know, again, throughout the U.S. In terms of our organizational structure, we have a commissioner. Um, who is a political appointee. Uh, But then we have two deputy career commissioners in that group. um, The commissioner and the deputies oversee the agency. Um, And then, of course, we're part of the Department of Treasury. Mm -hmm. So what are your specific responsibilities and duties as the chief risk officer? So I'd say the primary responsibility when the position was set up was to establish and then execute kind of this common framework for how we capture, report, and address risks um, to the IRS. I think important uh, along with that is trying to bring transparency to sort of some of those emerging problems and issues through throughout the organization and give us again, that capability to respond to and address risks before they end up having a negative impact on on the IRS. Um, and in addition to that, I, you know, I also serve in kind of a consulting capacity to the leadership team and to others within the IRS who are perhaps experiencing, you know, a challenge or an issue where they're encountering, you know, different types of risks and maybe, you know, in the, in the process of making some decisions and really wanting to make sure they have a full understanding of the different types of risks that might be associated with that decision, who else they might need to engage um, to help them with that. And I think, again, just maybe getting a better overall understanding of whether or not there might be other parts of the IRS impacted as well um, by those decisions and perhaps any associated risks. Mm-hmm. You know, with your uh, duties and responsibilities come some challenges. I often ask my guests, so what are the top three challenges that you face in your current position and, and how have you sought to address them? Right. Well, if I think back across, and I've been in this position now for about five or six years as the as the chief risk officer, and when I think back across that time period, you know, I think some of this, the major challenges, of course, are finding time, you know, getting everybody to find time to set aside to be really deliberately thinking through and focusing on risk, because we're all busy, um, and in many times we're dealing kind of with what's right in front of us. So I think trying to make time to um, have the leadership team think about those things that could happen, not necessarily the things that are happening, I think that can be a bit of a challenge. But given, you know, some of the issues that we went through with the IRS back in 2013 and 2014, I think uh, the team recognized the importance of really setting aside that time to really plan for and prepare and, and try to get ahead of other potential uh, problems or, or issues. I think something else, too, is that there's a natural tendency, I think, for most people in most organizations of, you know, not necessarily wanting to share perhaps bad news. 
Um, and so trying to create that environment where people feel comfortable pointing out problems and raising concerns in a way that, you know, everybody feels comfortable and that we're actually appreciative of knowing about that and hearing about that while there's still time to do something about it, uh, is an area that we've, you know, I think focused a lot of attention. And in particular, our former commissioner and our current commissioner have, I think, emphasized that time and time again with the leadership team and in their town hall meetings with employees and managers about, you know, sort of this notion that everybody needs to to be a risk manager. And if that we're going to be successful in, in what we're doing here, we really need everybody to be kind of on the lookout for, you know, risks and and things that, that could go wrong. And maybe the other item too, and, and this I think is part of the culture at the IRS historically, is that there's a very strong desire to fix problems before raising them. So if, you know, if we find something that's not working, strong interest in sort of fixing that before sharing it. But given how quickly things can escalate really, I think, in today's environment from an issue to you know, a crisis, we, we really have to sort of change that that. I think, uh, stance and, and recognize that it's important as soon as we see something that might be going off track that we probably need to raise that. And even if we've got it under control and we're working to address it, just having that awareness can perhaps give the leadership team or others, you know, some insight or ability if there's other connections that we need to bring in or other parties that need to be involved that we're doing that sooner rather than later. Oops, great. You know, um, so you said six years, right? You've been in this role and obviously you you, you came from another part of IRS. So what has surprised you most during your time as CRO? Uh, Well, you know, part of it is just the ability of the IRS to continue to get things done. Um, The time that I've spent in CRO position, again, has coincided with this period of significant reductions in the agency's budget um, and the agency's staffing. And of course, at the same time, you know, we were charged with, you know, still implementing the rest of the Affordable Care Act, still implementing, you know, other legislative provisions. And then, of course, you know, most recently we had the tax reform law that was passed, you know, all of those things being, you know, uh, put into place at a period where the agency's capabilities really have, I think, shrunk in terms of people and resources. But, you know, to the IRS's credit, we are able to marshal people and attention and our resources and get things done. And so we were able to get, you know, all of those legislative requirements implemented. And even if we think, for example, in tax reform, which when that was passed, we had a, you know, almost uh, non-existent window to to implement those provisions because they took effect, you know, it was passed in late December and those provisions basically took effect the following month. Um, IRS had to, you know, reprogram hundreds of, uh, you know, lines of code and do untold number of forms and guidance, et cetera. All that had to be done to be ready for the next year's filing season. And then, of course, we get up to the beginning of that filing season, and then what happens? The government shuts down, right? But right? right. But even with all of those events, we still the IRS still was able to, I think, deliver a, a rel, you know a relatively seamless filing season. And again, just the ability of the IRS to get things done, um, even in in a period where you know we've lost a significant uh, number of of staff and and resources. Who was leading? The IRS was that John Koskinen or is it John Dana? Koskinen? Uh, well, um, yeah. So John Koskinen from 2014 until what 2018, right? And then Charles Reddick is the commissioner now, and then Danny Werfel was the during acting the, commissioner during that during period of transition. Period, yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, so tell us a little bit more about your career path. 
Right. Uh, well, so uh, in addition to being in this role for about six years, I've actually been in, in served in government since about 1993. I actually came to D.C. for grad school at American University and started out as a co-op over at NIH and then uh, got into the what was then the Presidential Management Intern Program, right? It's now, I think, the PMF program, Presidential Fellow Program. And, uh, you know, began in, in that role at NIH and then had an opportunity to, you know, do a, an assignment at the IRS, not knowing that that would then become sort of um, my career. But largely been with the IRS most of that time, although I did uh, take a break and go work in local government in uh, Maricopa County, Arizona for a couple of years. Uh, then came back to IRS. Most of my time in the last you know decade plus has been in the large business and international division at IRS and you know responsibility really for strategy and performance and uh, planning, um, et cetera. Well, you know, given your background, uh, your leadership uh, outside local government, which is interesting, I did not know that, mm-hmm. and also your time uh, in the federal government. Uh, Tom, what makes one a, what are the characteristics of an effective leader, and what are some of your leadership principles that you seem to follow? Right. Well, you know, I, I'm fortunate again during my career to have worked for a number of very you know capable leaders, and I think certainly most recently, uh, John Koskinen, you know, was a great leader to work for, and I really appreciated the opportunity to to be able to serve on his team, and, and certainly with our other current commissioner as well. So I sort of look against or look across the. The, the individuals that I've worked for and what were some of the characteristics that I think helped me grow in my uh, position and really interested me in, I think, serving as well in a, in a leadership role um, eventually. And you know, a couple of those traits, I think, are certainly a good listener, um, somebody that's going to actually take the time to make sure that they understand kind of where you're coming from and, and what you're trying to communicate before acting, right? So making sure they really understand and, and are and fully uh, uh, grasp, I think, the, the issues that are being brought for their consideration. It's important as a leader, too, that you're always learning and always building your skill set. So I always, you know, set aside time to kind of to try to stay current with, you know, latest developments and build my network um, and make sure that, you know, I am kind of on top of what's happening across sort of the, the federal sector and certainly now in this role in what's happening in kind of the risk field. I think it's important, too, to take the time. Certainly, when you step in a new position and working with new people, to make sure that you're matching people's skills um, with their strengths, um, or or matching kind of what you're asking people to do with their strengths. And you know, sometimes you might step in an organization and find you know an employee that perhaps things just don't seem to be working out well. I found that if you actually step back and understand, well, what are their strengths and are they really then in the right position to match those strengths, you can keep dedicated people in the organization by taking the time to make sure that they're matched up with the with the right job. Important to ask questions and I think as well, always taking, you know, the opportunity to continue to enhance and improve your programs and your operations and for us and in the federal government to even though it's it's easy to get caught up in kind of the day-to-day swirl of everything that goes on around here and being in D.C., to be able to step back, I think, and remember the big picture of what it is we're trying to accomplish. And for the IRS, you know, we really are trying to, I think, fund the operations of the entire federal government. So thinking about the importance of the IRS being successful and in, in its ability then to support the operations of the entire federal government. What are the benefits of pursuing enterprise risk management, ERM? We'll ask Tom Brandt, Chief Risk Officer at the IRS, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour.
To support government financial performance and accountability, financial systems must meet certain standards, and relying on outdated financial systems inhibits progress. ERP vendors are encouraging clients to move to the cloud and consider new technologies such as robotic process automation, blockchain, and AI to enhance financial productivity. Download the IBM Center Report Financial Management for the Future at businessofgovernment.org to learn why and how government can evolve to meet the demands of a digital world. The Ebola crisis in West Africa from 2014 to 2016 was an epidemic that put emphasis on global capacity to respond to international disasters. How can government better assess the needs of those affected and help them? The IBM Center Report Responding to Global Health Crisis by Professor Jennifer Whitner breaks down the U.S. response to the Ebola crisis and provides insights on lessons learned that may aid the government responses in the future. Download your free copy, Responding to Global Health Crisis, at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Tom Brandt, Chief Risk Officer at the U.S. Internal Revenue Service. So, Tom, um, there are various definitions of risk. So, so what is risk, and why is risk so often viewed in negative terms? And can it have a positive sense to it, too? Right, yeah. Uh, yes, it can. Uh, I think risk just in itself is uncertainty, not knowing how something is going to turn out. Um, and we take risk every day, you know, making our decisions even on how we're going to commute to work. We don't necessarily know unless we've spent, taken the time to go look at the apps or we're using, you know, listening to the news carefully. But, you know, around here in D.C., you think you're on a route that's clear and you end up being stuck in traffic. So it's kind of just that uncertainty of how things are going to progress. But then, you know, risk management is really what are those uh, tools and those techniques and the approaches that you can take to actually better understand what are the potential risks that could occur, and then kind of what are the methods and steps that you can take to either minimize um, the impact of that risk uh, if it did occur or even figuring out alternatives. Um, I think that question you had around why is risk often viewed in such negative terms as kind of a factor of the environment that we operate in. And, you know, in the federal sector in particular and in the public sector overall, uh, it's just a, a, a nature of the positions we hold that when something goes wrong, it gets a lot of attention. Um, and it gets a lot of attention very quickly. So, you know, oftentimes what we've seen across government and here in, in D.C. is that when, you know, something does go wrong, there's a, you know, rapid, you know, jump to figure out, point fingers and not, you know, maybe necessarily take the time to truly understand what, you know, has happened. So I think that just creates an environment where people are a bit more risk averse just because of the consequences of, you know, a risk um, event occurring. And of course, that can be headlines in the newspaper, it can be hearings, it can be audits, um, etc. So, um, you know, I think that's part of what creates that negative view. But you know, in order for agencies to innovate and for us to change and for us to improve, we have to try new things. And so we have to take risk to actually grow the organization and expand our capabilities. So there is kind of that upside that you're not going to achieve those innovations if you don't take risk. 
Um, I think what's important for us in that space is to be very clear around kind of what is the full scope of risk that we're taking and then kind of what are the capabilities we're putting in place to monitor variants, right? So that if we're trying to, we want to accomplish certain thing by a certain time frame, are we carefully monitoring if things are going off course so that we can then take steps to get ourselves back on course before we've gone so far down the road that, you know, we've got a lot of sunk cost and, and we haven't got much to show for it. And then that's what creates kind of, I think, some of that negative, you know, reaction around, well, a government operation overall. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned earlier uh, in the previous segment, enterprise risk management, ERM. Could you tell us what it is and how, more importantly, how does it differ from the traditional approach to risk management? Right. Well, I think the traditional approach to risk management, and government has always done that. I think across all of our agencies, we've always, I think, taken time to understand risk to our functions and risks to our specific operations. And, you know, you think across most agencies, you know, they've been addressing kind of cyber risk for a long period of time. And we've, across government, and you know, it's been a high focus, for example, for GAO around um, focusing on addressing different types of fraud risk. And then when we look at our specific programs, how do we, you know, I think, identify and address risk in those program areas, right? But enterprise risk is taking that to a higher level and looking across the entire organization and risks across the organization and then considering those in relationship to the overall mission of the agency and the ability of the organization to achieve its goals overall. And I think the key distinction then is that as we're identifying those risks and thinking through our risk responses, we are carefully assessing the impact to the agency overall. Um, I think some of the challenges sometimes with functional risk management is that some of the risk responses to those types of uh, events actually can end up creating additional risk for other parts of the organization because they're not necessarily being done with that wholesale view of the entire organization. Mm-hmm. Um, so would you tell us more about the IRS ERM strategic framework and your risk assessment process? Um, what are some of your guiding principles that inform and direct um, how you identify, manage, and mitigate and ultimately overcome risks. Right. So we do have a very well-established process now with the IRS. As I indicated, we're, you know, six years into our program at the IRS. We do conduct an annual enterprise risk assessment where um, we engage with every part of the IRS to review, you know, risks across all of the units and look at sort of what's happening in the external environment. We look at um, findings from our auditors. Um, and then certainly input from employees, managers, and, and the leadership team and kind of, um, you know, that whole risk ecosystem or risk environment. And, and so we'll, we'll certainly consider our existing risk and whether there are new risks, um, you know, that are emerging that we need to, you know, begin putting on our radar. Uh, but to support all of that, we have an executive risk committee in place at the IRS, uh, which I chair along with our two deputy commissioners. And then we've got other executives who serve in rotational capacity on that. Every single unit at the IRS also has an ERM sort of champion or liaison, um, and most of those positions are collateral duty, but in some of our larger units, those are full-time, but those kind of are our designated champions for ERM in, in each unit. They get together regularly, in fact, monthly uh, to, you know, again, stay current on, on what's happening across the IRS to discuss kind of our risk responses, risk strategies, um, but they also, you know, comprise our our risk working group. Um, and then we've also incorporated kind of that whole process into our performance management process as well as our business performance reporting so that we're regularly monitoring and tracking 
um, our enterprise risk. So it's not just a matter of we go through this exercise and create an enterprise risk list and then we're done. Um, that isn't going to get you very far. The key is then what are you doing in terms of you know putting in place risk response strategies and then how are you monitoring that throughout the course of the year? Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the things I was wondering is how have you, uh, and you kind of alluded to it, but how have you integrated um, ERM principles in the agency's strategic planning efforts, but more importantly, how does it inform day-to-day operations? Right. So certainly the top risks to the IRS were an input into the development of the 2018 through 2022 strategic plan at the IRS. And I think as that plan was being put together, I think one of the key considerations was what initiatives can the IRS undertake to help improve our mission delivery, to help improve service to customers, to help enhance kind of the way we approach enforcement, our use of data analytics, and how we can make the organization more efficient. You know, all of those kind of objectives, uh, part of the the planning that went into that was thinking through how as we're setting those up or deciding our, on our initiatives, are we also at the same time going to be able to try and minimize uh, the likelihood or potential for, for risks associated um, with those events. When we sort of switched, though, over to sort of the day-to-day uh, operations and how does that get built into, you know, what we're doing on, a, on an everyday basis, I think there the, the key element is incorporating the consideration of risk into critical decision-making and making sure that we're attuned to a broader view of risks and that we've engaged, you know, with other parts of the organization that may be affected by our risks. And we've, you know, implemented a tool at the IRS, something we call our Risk Acceptance Form and Tool, or RAFT. And it's actually a sort of a decision-making document, and it helps, I think, walk through kind of the key factors that should be considered as we're making some of the most critical decisions for the agency and and making sure then that we're also identifying other stakeholders that might be impacted by those decisions and that we're giving them an opportunity to weigh in. And so I think that consideration of risk and critical decision-making is how we've kind of also integrated ERM into the day-to-day sort of operations of the agency itself. That's great. So, you know, what are, um, what are some of the benefits of pursuing e- ERM within IRS, but also across the federal government? Yeah. Well, I think to start with here, it's important to also mention and be clear that, you know, Implementing ERM is not going to guarantee that no risk is going to manifest or that there is not going to be another crisis uh, because ERM itself is not about eliminating risk altogether. And there is really no ability for any organization to provide 100% assurance that something bad won't happen. I mean, the only way really to eliminate risk is to get out of the business of whatever it is you're doing. But, you know, that's not really feasible uh, or reasonable for us. Um, but, you know, on that note, it's it's interesting to see kind of what's been happening in California with the power company out there and kind of their step, their, their step to actually mitigate risk associated with fires by just turning the power off, yeah, right? That is kind of a, an extreme step, but that, you know, I guess that does eliminate risk, but then it does certainly create a whole range of, of new ones. Um, but the benefits of ERM uh, overall is it does, I think, enable and facilitate increased awareness and understanding of, of risks, again, associated with the key decisions that you're making. For us, an important factor as well was broadening our understanding and our view of risks. You know, I think historically very attuned to operational risks and programmatic risks. 
but probably less attuned to reputational risk, right? Um, and and that's something that has been very important for us to be, you know, paying attention to and giving consideration to how decisions may be perceived um, and really better understanding kind of the stakeholder point of view. Uh, ERM as well, I think, can help agencies in how they're, you know, making choices and, and resource allocation. You can kind of understand where you may have the most significant impact or kind of, again, those areas that could compromise the ability of the agency to perform or uh, to achieve its objectives and identifying, in a, and again, in, a, in an era of constrained resources, if you've got an additional dollar to spend, you know, where might you apply that because it is either going to help you improve your likelihood of, you know, mission success or um, it's going to minimize the likelihood that something bad could happen for the organization or for the people we serve. Mm. You know, um, maybe you kind of alluded, but I was wondering, what are some of the challenges as you did it at IRS and in your role as the outgoing president of a firm, mm-hmm. you know, what are some of the significant challenges of instituting ERM and how have you started to address those implementation challenges? Yeah, I can you know, I think the biggest one again, and I did touch on this a little bit in the first segment, but it's that everybody needs to feel comfortable speaking up and, you know, top leadership needs to set the tone. They need to encourage and they, and promote that environment. And we've kind of picked up the tagline that you'll see in many organizations around if you see something say something so we can do something, right? Um, And to try to encourage that, we've done, you know, training, we've had risk awareness campaigns, we've actually created a risk advocate certificate program at the IRS so that any employee that is interested in learning more about kind of risk management and what they can do to help can actually, you know, complete this certificate program. We've also established a risk channel, so it's kind of a fail-safe. We encourage, again, everybody at the IRS, if they see a risk or have a concern, to share it with their manager because that's likely to get acted on much more quickly. But if for some reason they feel uncomfortable or it's an issue that they want to share confidentially, we do sort of have that fail-safe risk channel in place where, again, um, it allows us that additional, I think, ability to, to capture risk that perhaps in the past might you know, not have been raised. Um, you know, I think early on when I reflect back to where we were in the first, you know, year or two, um, we did have a couple of business units when they submitted their risk registers. The, the register was blank and, and kind of they're saying, well, they don't have any risks. And I thought, well, gosh, I need to go work there, right? <laughs> if you can work in an organization that has no risks. But this, I think, was, again, really changing the mindset around what risk is and what our expectations were for reporting and sharing risk information. And again, part of that whole environment that identifying and sharing your risks is not a bad thing. Um, and that, you know, we're here actually to try to help marshal the the attention, the assistance of the entire leadership team and resources to help in managing and mitigating those risks. So it's, it's really an advantage for the organizational units to ensure that their risks are being captured in, and I think included in this in this process. Mm-hmm. Are there any you know common uh, best or most promising practices that you've seen out there? Yeah, I think you can look across private and public sector both, and you know I think a common element is that the organizations are not too top heavy 
um, in terms of a huge staff at the headquarters level, because the risk, again, of, of doing that is that the that a, an ERM program is viewed then as a headquarters function and something that's being done over there that maybe I need to check in with every once in a while, but otherwise it's not something I need to be all that worried about. That's probably not going to be success, you know, successful. You need to have the business engaged and part of and bought into the ERM program. And so I, I think a good practice we've seen in other organizations and that we've deployed ourselves is that role of ERM liaisons, that you've got a designated champion in every you know, unit of your organization who's got responsibility for communicating and operationalizing you know, ERM within, within those um, within those units, it's important too to to make sure that you are trying to leverage and build into existing processes where possible. Um, we have so much again that's on all of our plates, and we're you know I think that we've got you know lots of competing priorities. So we do want to try to use existing processes where we can to reduce burden. Um, and probably the other piece to that too is. Um, Making sure that, again, you're not just creating the the list to have the list, but then you're using that risk information to inform your budget and your investment decisions. And then the last piece I might suggest is that um, those organizations that have spent the time to really tailor the approach in a way that's going to work for their organization that considers the size, their structure, and the culture – are going to be more successful. You know, there are lots of ERM frameworks out there, but you just can't go and pick something off the shelf and then, you know, plop it in your agency and expect that it's going to work if you haven't actually taken the time to think through how you need to tailor it based on the unique features of your own your own organization. So how does it how does it link to performance, like linking performance and risk management? How do you do that? What are some of the incentives? Right. Well, I mean, there's a couple ways to look at it. I think as organizations are first implementing ERM, and we did this at IRS, you set expectations and, you know, executive and leadership commitments around the steps they need to take to support the implementation of ERM. And those can be pretty, I think, measurable objectives in terms of what needs to be done by when and making sure that they've, you know, put a risk assessment process in place and they've got a risk register and they're regularly reporting risk, et cetera. So there are those types of, you know, sort of more mechanical, I think, uh, measures that can be put in place around just the implementation and ongoing execution of, of ERM within an organization. But I think the broader challenge overall around ERM is it's trying to prevent bad things from happening. So how do you sort of measure what doesn't happen, right? (laughs) So that becomes kind of an age-old problem in the ERM space. But when I've been asked around that or about that, I mean, one of the things that I've, you know, thought through and responded is that, well, you need to look at your organization and, and is your organization in sort of a constant crisis response mode, we do tend to reward people for managing crises. You know, we throw a lot of resources and a lot of attention, and folks who've helped us get through the crisis, you know, rightly so, um, do get recognized. But if, you're, if your organization is always in crisis mode, you need to kind of step back and ask why. And, and that's probably a key indicator to the need to shore up your risk management, you know, process. And I think then that's where looking at how are we building it into performance is, you know, to what extent are we actually evaluating our leadership on the extent to which they are aware of, addressing, know about, and are paying attention to those you know, types of potential risks. How is the IRS fostering a culture of risk awareness across its enterprise? We will ask Tom Brandt, its chief risk officer, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. 
How does an agency decide upon and implement a performance management framework that will be successful for their specific administration? The IBM Center Report, a practitioner's framework for measuring results, follows the implementation and results of the CSTAT management framework in Colorado's Department of Homeland Security in hopes that it can guide others who may want to institute a similar approach. Download a practitioner's framework for measuring results by Melissa Wavelet on businessofgovernment.org today. Agile methodology has allowed for agencies to keep up with the growing demands for fast response to problem solving. The Opportunity Project, TOP, serves as a catalyst in adapting agile techniques to solve complex agency mission problems. TOP works with federal agencies to identify challenges and facilitate iterative approaches in response. In the IBM Center Report, Agile Problem Solving in Government, Joel Gurin and Katerina Ribello discuss the factors of success involved in TOP. Download your free copy today at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Tom Brandt, Chief Risk Officer at the U.S. Internal Revenue Service. So, Tom, what are some of the critical risks, hazards facing federal government agencies today? Well, I don't think, you know, it'd be a surprise that probably cyber and data security protection is at the top of almost every agency and every organization's risk list. Um, I think the threat is just so substantial and the perseverance and resources of threat actors is so high that that has to be, you know, top on everyone's on everyone's list. Uh, you know, for IRS in particular, and I think we see it in, in many uh, organizations as well as just continuing risk around our, our human resource, human resources and being able to attract and, and retain skilled staff. Um, and I think, you know, in the environment right now where public service perhaps is viewed differently than in the past and where things like shutdowns um, don't help, I think that creates some risk for organizations on how they're actually managing and maintaining you know, sufficient human resources to, to perform their missions. We find in, I think, a number of organizations that the risks associated with legacy IT systems and the needs for organizations to modernize, but you know, the, the associated challenge of trying to do that in periods of significant budget uncertainty. And, um, you know, you're trying to undertake major transformations for organizations, but the budgeting process, you know, is kind of not working very well. Um, and so trying to have a steady stream of resources that can help agencies, um, I think, implement those types of uh, system changes is, is, you know, quite a challenge, again, in, in, the, in the environment that we're operating in. And then something else that I would share, and I, I want to emphasize that this is my own view um, and not, not the agency's view, but I, I'd say in recent years, too, uh, a risk that I think is affecting government and affecting agencies as well is that um, we've the sort of the battleground, I think, for some of the policy decisions that maybe used to be decided in a more bipartisan fashion on the Hill, you know, that we're seeing less and less of that. So what that means is when agencies are actually then tasked with implementing those policies, there isn't that lack of consensus or that lack of agreement. So what happens is those disagreements and those, you know, I think fights actually then spill over into the agencies. And I think in the last couple of years, you can just see instance with instances where I think that has made the job of public administrators and public servants more difficult because we've been pulled into some of that, you know, I think uh, partisanship um, that in the past I don't think was as prevalent. And I think that just creates risk for, you know, agencies in terms of reputation and attitudes towards government and attitudes towards 
um, towards public service. Mm. That's interesting. So, you know, OMB guidance, um, how has the updated guidance on the adoption and use of ERM changed the way risk management is done in the federal government? Well, it was a game changer, really. I mean, uh, the work that OMB did to implement the changes to their circular A123 and then also the uh, circular A11, those have caused agencies to establish ERM processes and programs. And again, to move from what we were talking about earlier in terms of functional risk management to enterprise risk management. Um, so it pr- provided that prompt and that requirement for agencies to begin you know, taking initiatives and implementing programs um, in this space. What I would say, though, is that there is um, a great degree of variability across agencies and the extent to which they've implemented ERM. Uh, the guidance is very helpful, and but it does give a lot of leeway. So, you know, every organization, again, is doing it slightly differently. Um, and others, I think, have put more attention and resources and have had probably more leadership support to move along much more quickly. Um, so I'd say overall, it's still evolving. But I think some of the other benefits is it has elevated the discussion and maybe the deliberation of risk beyond what it used to be. And it's also then provided that venue um, for you know, risk to be discussed and to get attention to, to top risks. In terms of where else that needs to go, I think more still needs to be done kind of with the OMB budget process to tie the, you know, the consideration of risk to some of the budget decisions that are made both within the agencies, again, at OMB. And, and as I've said a couple of times, too, we need across the entire federal government to make sure that all of the agencies are doing more than just creating their list of enterprise risks, that that information is then really being used to inform resource decisions, planning, and performance. You know, Tom, you've mentioned throughout, you've kind of hinted at this. I'd like if you could summarize, what are some of the key attributes of effective risk management? Well, I think part of it is that you sort of, um, you know what you're getting into. So you're doing it in a way that you have a full understanding of the, the scale and scope of risk that may be associated with the decisions that you're making in an organization, that you've got capabilities in place to tell you when, you know, something may be, you know, going off course, that, you know, maybe the variance is outside of acceptable limits so that you've got, you know, ways to identify and, and track and respond to that. Uh, when it may be occurring, that you've engaged the right stakeholders, right? So you've thought through who might be affected by the risks upstream or downstream and make sure that they've had an ability to to participate and be heard. And more importantly, that uh, that we're transparent. Um, and, you know, again, to the extent that we're able to share information with stakeholders around, you know, the risk that we're facing, because we oftentimes need the help of those stakeholders to manage and mitigate the risk. And so if we're in a period where we kind of, you know, put this cloak around our risk, that just creates suspicion. Um, so I think overall, we need to be in a place where we can be more transparent about the top risk that we face. Although, obviously, for example, we're not going to be publicizing certain types of risks that could threaten, you know, public safety or security. Um, but beyond that, I think organizations that are undertaking risk management programs do need to be a bit transparent around kind of what's involved in that whole process and sharing a bit more around what are the outcomes. Mm. You know, um, decisions whether to undertake a new initiative or to continue activities, you know, they always involve risks as well as rewards. How can risk management act as a tool uh, to strengthen decision-making. Right. So there is a component of ERM and risk overall called risk appetite, 
which, you know, it's the notion of really understanding how much risk is an organization willing to take on in its pursuit of its objectives and its mission. And again, that may vary depending on, you know, the type of objective you're seeking to accomplish. Obviously, if we're going to be innovating or, you know, trying to, you know, change programs and processes, we're going to be uh, open to taking a bit more risk, right? But if it's a matter of, you know, trying to ensure the security and safety of uh, the people we serve or protecting and securing data, you know, taxpayer data, for example, at the IRS, we're probably going to be a little more risk averse. So I think part of that is really understanding what is the organization's risk appetite as we're making significant decisions. And where ERM can help with that is in the past where some of those decisions would have been made at a functional level, that those decisions would have been made in consideration of the risk appetite of those functional leaders. But we've, we've seen examples where that uh, understanding or willingness to take on risk was different than kind of the willingness of the entire leadership team. So part of this is really, again, having that conversation is what is the acceptable level of risk that the leadership team, you know, is willing to take on across a range of objectives and a range of programs? And that's where I think this can really help an organization uh, that's, you know, taking on ERM is ensuring, again, that there is that alignment between the types of decisions that are being made throughout the organization and the amount of risk that the that the leadership team is really willing to expose the the, the agency or the organization to. Yeah, and how does it you know improve information flow? Right. Well, you know, again, if the if the programs are set up right, and again, getting back to this notion of transparency, what what you want to be doing ideally is sharing information about risk up, down, across an organization. So you're actually increasing the flow of information throughout all levels. And the intention there is to improve and increase the awareness. And because what you often find is that there's that one part of the organization that really has had experience with this, knows more about it, or might actually be able to help you in managing or mitigating the risk. So if you're making sure that you do have this, you know, again, up, down, and across flow of information, I think you're going to be better positioned in terms of the types of risk responses that you might uh, be putting in place, your, you know, your overall awareness and understanding of kind of what are the top risks um, that the organization uh, may be taking on. Uh, but I think also at the end of the day, you're just enhancing and improving the overall decision-making process for the, for the organization. So as you're, you're a leader, uh, the, the chief risk officers, how are you raising, you know, the, a, a culture of risk uh, awareness? What, what's going on in that area? Yeah, well, so we have spent a lot of time since um, our ERM program was established talking about risk culture, and we've done training again at all levels of the organization with employees and managers and leaders. Um, we've we often use case studies, um, and unfortunately, there are uh, you know a whole series of risk events in the public and private sector that you can draw from. Um, and so we've actually taken some time to, you know, look at some of the events that have occurred, you know, in organizations such as, you know, Wells Fargo, the ignition switch issue at GM, you know, some of the challenges that Volkswagen had with the emissions, right? And then even many years ago with the, that big data breach that happened at Target, you know, there's enough information about those events and kind of um, 
culture that we're able to to put together some case studies to help us, you know, learn from those experiences and, you know, looking as well at our own risk events. So looking back at some of those crises that occurred in, you know, 2013 and really understanding, you know, um, what some of the lessons learned were there so that we can prevent, you know, some of those types of events going forward. Something else that we make use of is the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey does have some questions on there that can give you some insight into the you know, the culture of your organization and the willingness, for example, of employees to share issues and concerns. So we've used the the FEVS um, survey to actually create what we call our risk culture index. And that's something we're able to track over time. And then we can also pinpoint where there might be pockets of the organization, perhaps where, you know, there's something we need to take a look at because perhaps their their results are a bit um, lower than, than maybe the organization overall. Hmm. Okay. And, um, you know, you mentioned earlier, it's kind of tough to measure what doesn't happen. (laughs) Um, But what are some of the ways that you can demonstrate the value of ERM to your leaders? I think part of it is, um, hopefully, if you've done ERM well, and you've got the entire organization engaged and involved, the likelihood of leadership being caught by surprise by some unexpected event should be minimized. And again, I think if you're in an organization where the, there's stuff just cropping up repeatedly that's catching the leadership by surprise, then that's probably telling you that um, you, if you don't have an ERM program, you need one. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you have an ERM program, it's probably not working as well as it should. So I think part of it is just being able to then you know, give the leadership insight and ability to get ahead of things. Um, that might be, you know, sort of one way where you can demonstrate the value. I think the other part, too, is uh, being able to point to specific types of risks that we've helped identify and, and mitigate and manage for the organization. We are tracking all of those through our risk management efforts. So that's something to, you know, to be able to look at how we've helped the organization minimize risks in these areas, or more importantly, particularly in the federal space, is to get budgetary resources. So for the IRS, with tax reform implementation, huge undertaking um, in a very compressed period of time. We knew there were major risks associated with that, you know, through the support of the, the Treasury Secretary, the Department, OMB, and certainly with the leadership of the IRS commissioner, being able to communicate risks associated with trying to get that implemented in the condensed time frame. That actually resulted in some additional appropriations to the IRS to support tax reform implementation. And I think that's a way where you can demonstrate that being able to clearly articulate the risks associated with you know, specific requirements or objectives can actually help um, help the agency you know, with risk response by, in that case, getting um, some essential resources. How can the Association for Federal Enterprise Risk Management, AFIRM, help federal agency leaders manage risk more effectively? We'll ask Tom Brandt, Chief Risk Officer at the IRS, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. How can government best use big data to transform decision-making, public services delivery, and communication? The IBM Center Report Integrating Big Data and Thick Data to Transform Public Services Delivery by Yan Yan Ang presents five recommendations for public managers introducing the concept of mixed analytics, urging thick data, meaning qualitative information about users, to be presented alongside big data to improve government decision-making. 
Visit businessofgovernment.org to read more. Each week on the Business of Government Hour, government executives and thought leaders join host Michael Keegan for an informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government and its effectiveness. These individuals are truly changing the way government does business. So join them each week on the Business of Government Hour. Find out how the business of government isn't business as usual. The Business of Government Hour, every Monday at 11 a.m. on the Federal News Network. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Tom Brandt, Chief Risk Officer at the U.S. Internal Revenue Service. So, Tom, um, you uh, have been president and you continue on the board of the uh, Association for Enterprise Risk Management, AFIRM. Uh, would you tell us more about the mission of the association? How does, it, um, how does it work? How does it engage federal agencies to facilitate collaboration and partnerships to go after and um, um, deal with risk? In the right. federal context. Right. Well, thank you. Yeah, so I've really enjoyed my opportunity to be associated with um, a firm. Uh, you know, again, in, in addition to my day job, I, you know, <laughs> set aside time to do this because it's been so helpful really to connect with other practitioners um, in the federal government and other organizations and really learn from what they're doing. I mean, we are kind of, we provide this network and this and the and access to information and, and, you know, again, a resource to help all of us as we're, you know, I think trying to work through what ERM is and how best to implement it in our respective agencies. But, you know, overall, the, the mission of a firm is to promote the practice of ERM in the federal government. And we do that through um, training programs, various uh, educational events, uh, thought leadership papers. We host a number of workshops and networking events each year. Uh, I think a, a key resource and something of great value to all of our members is being able to share good practices and lessons learned. I mean, that's something that gets probably the most um, attention is hearing how agencies have approached uh, you know, some of the different requirements and what's worked and what hasn't worked. And then something else is kind of informal mentoring, is particularly for for you know, newcomers to the practice of ERM, uh, to be able to connect up with folks who've been in this you know field for some period of time and really learn from them around what techniques and approaches can work and and kind of what they need to do to shore up their own skills um, can be very helpful. You know, last year a firm partnered with RIMS to create the RIMS uh, Certified Risk Management Professional Fed certification, and that is a means for you know risk practitioners in the federal sector to earn designation that that they've acquired a level of skills and capabilities in the field of risk management. And that is something that has been recognized as great value to our members and, again, a way to demonstrate um, that that credential. Um, And then we've also, I think, continued through a firm to seek ways to advocate the further adoption and integration of ERM into and throughout throughout the, the entire federal government. Yeah, I want to go to the key initiatives uh, that a firm is pursuing over the next year. What are some of those key initiatives? Right. So certainly expanding our partnering with other organizations that are in sort of some of the same space and, you know, some of those good government organizations that are looking at how we can just enhance and improve government operations overall. So 
We want to look at expanding those working relationships, you know, again, across the broader ecosystem of risk management, working with both public and private sector organizations. Um, and then I think additionally, looking at the resources we do make available, how we can expand on those. So doing some additional webinars, we've got a whole series of risk chats that we want to keep adding to, undertaking some research into kind of, you know, now that we're six or excuse me, three years into, you know, post-implementation and agencies and with the OMB requirement, you know, maybe taking some time to do a bit research on how that's going and what are some of, again, learning a bit more about some of those good practices and maybe key success factors. We've talked about a few here today, but I think it would be helpful to get maybe a broader view through some research across kind of the federal sector um, in that space and certainly trying to broaden our reach, you know, across the federal government, but then also other public sector uh, organizations as well. You know, in your capacity at IRS as the chief risk officer and your engagement with a firm, um, I would like to talk to you about the technological advances and innovative disruptions and the type of risks associated with artificial intelligence, machine learning. What what are federal agencies, what kind of risks are they dealing with and how are they working to mitigate them? Yeah, you know, so this is an area that I'm still learning more about because okay. it's so, you so know, new. new, right, and it continues to evolve. But clearly there are cautions um, in, you know, AI and machine learning that, you know, I think are coming to light and, and it's important for us to be thinking, you know, about making sure that we are not embedding bias, for example, and in how these uh, technologies operate and that we don't end up disadvantaging um, any particular populations. Obviously, there's concerns that emanate around, you know, privacy and security protections that that need to be, you know, I think people need to be aware of and be, be paying close attention to. It's interesting, you know, just reading an article recently in, in the Washington Post as well that was describing some AI-empowered technology that's being used in screening candidates for, for jobs. And it's, you know, technology that's looking at facial cues and voice inflections. And and that's raised, you know, a host of concerns around, you know, how, how might that type of technology disadvantage, you know, uh, certain populations. And so I think that just causes us to to make sure that we're being, you know, careful and deliberate in how we're approaching the use of these technologies. Um, and, and I think those are just maybe some of the risks that, you know, we've begun to hear about and that organizations have begun to think about as we see AI and machine learning, you know, I think, taking a greater hold across not only the private sector, but as you noted, starting to move into the public sector as well. So, uh, Tom, speaking of public, the public sector, what advice would you give someone who's considering a career in public service? Right. Well, I think the biggest piece of advice is to just say we need you. Um, you know, I think the the workforce is aging. There are many of us who are nearing, you know, the retirement uh, years. Uh, and so we do need, uh, you know, newcomers into government. And there is just a whole host of opportunities and, oppor- you know, the, the ability to make a difference, you know, for the country, the the impact that agencies have and can have on, uh, you know, on government and on the country is, is unparalleled probably in, in other organizations. There's a lot of opportunity there. You know, I would encourage uh, individuals interested in government service that, you know, to jump in and if and to give it a try. And if that, you know, initial position you have, if maybe the fit isn't perfect, you know, don't give up. 
you know, look for other opportunities, look for other roles, you know, maybe explore uh, positions at other agencies. But I, again, I would just make the point that it's it's critical. We need the next generation to come in to keep uh, you know the the government operations uh, running and to really provide those essential services for our citizens. And it is a a very rewarding. Uh, you know, opportunity, and it can be a very rewarding position for for anyone who's looking to sort of make a difference for our country. That's great. So, Tom, thank you for taking some time out of your day today. But more importantly, I want to thank you for your dedicated service to the country. No, well, thank you. It's been an honor. This has been the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with Tom Brandt, Chief Risk Officer at the U.S. Internal Revenue Service. Be sure to join us next week for another informative, insightful an in-depth conversation on improving government and its effectiveness. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan, and thanks for joining us. This has been the Business of Government Hour. Be sure to visit us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. There you can learn more about our programs and get a transcript of today's conversation. Until next week, it's businessofgovernment.org. Each week on the Business of Government Hour, government executives and thought leaders join host Michael Keegan for an informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government and its effectiveness. These individuals are truly changing the way government does business. So join them each week on the Business of Government Hour. Find out how the business of government isn't business as usual. The Business of Government Hour, every Monday at 11 a.m. on the Federal News Network.